Hey, everybody. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. And, uh, well, you might have noticed, and especially if you follow us on social media, that tonight's episode is late. It wasn't originally intended to be part of Horror October, but it certainly fits in. <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful, and we're going to take that... We're going to take that lemon and make lemonade <laughs> that this is a great part to add to our spooky season month. In all seriousness, we are once again besieged by fires in Northern California. Very, very, very close to home this time. Our surrounding neighborhoods, a um, lot of folks lost their homes, a lot of animals lost their lives and some people as well. Uh, thank you to all of the amazing, amazing first responders that keep us safe. We love you. You're the best. We love you. You're, uh, you're true heroes. And sorry, guys, that this episode was a little late. But it ended up actually being even better because yeah. this is going to open up Horror October. Our TBR is still in effect. We're just going to have four episodes this month. We're safe. We're healthy. Our home is still standing. The studio stands. We've got Sweetheart and Stitches. Everybody's doing okay. So without further ado, here's the show. Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hey, genre junkies, it's Sandra. And this is Scott. And before we get started talking about the super, super awesome episode we have for you Today, we must introduce you to a new member of the crew. Yes, we have a new employee. <laughs> yes, a new employee. What is his title? Uh, he is uh, currently kind of like a groupie. He's in charge of cable management. He's like yeah, a cable he's a, rap. He's a studio technician, but yeah. he's interning as a cable rap. A cable tie. That's right. Yes. Um, without further ado, and we will, of course, post a picture. We've kind of been saving him. Um, we have a baby corn snake in our house now. And he is so cute. He is so cute. So I have always, always been majorly into every reptile herp, especially snakes and frogs. Those are kind of my thing. And lizards, everything. And I just always like, I pretended that I had snakes growing up. And, and like one thing that I would do is I had this little rubber snake. It was yellow and black. And I kept it in a little, little cardboard shoebox filled with you know um like leaves and stuff and that was like my little pet snake and my mom totally afraid of snakes would never let me have one and then i grew up uh scott I, okay hold on i have to jump in here really quickly oh please because sure that that little rubber snake in a shoebox the yes. first time i heard that story from you uh -huh. was probably a month and a half ago well <laughs> it's just my snake i know and it's very sweet and as someone who's a little afraid of snakes myself like just like not like terrified just a little uncomfortable that was kind of like well okay i guess I guess we have to start looking at snakes. Yes, because it was like one of those things where it's like, I don't want to go the rest of my life without having snakes in them. <laughs> <laughs> snakes in the life, anyway. So um, 
we we did a lot of research, like official research, and we fell in love with corns, and we adopted our little baby. And now, in case you were wondering, Scott is not afraid of our snake. Scott has become a huge herp enthusiast. I I have learned so much about snakes in the past two, three weeks. I They're know amazing. all about morphologies yes. and DNA and how to raise them and the difference between different types of snakes. I'm I'm just I've fallen just down to the deep end. Because snakes are amazing. They're pretty cool. So for those of you who are fans of a certain book series, we um There was only one name that I wanted for my snake, and that would be Sweetheart, named in honor of Queen Katarine's snake from, of course, the Kendar Blake series. The Queens of Fenburn series. Yes, by our beloved, beloved Kendar Blake, one of our favorite authors who we had the the pleasure of having on this show. So, Kendar, Sweetheart says thank you. All right, so tonight... That, that's about as sweet as this episode's going to yeah, get, that's though. about as sweet as this episode's <laughs> going to get. Hardy, har, Buckle har, in! So, tonight, we are reviewing a psychological horror short collection. And not only are we reviewing this, but we have the honor, the privilege. I, you know, some days I am just like, I can't believe... I can't believe our life and our show and how lucky we are. We get to talk to the amazing author who does not have a work in this, but she is an amazing author, by the way, the editor of this collection, Rebecca Rowland. So look forward to that. As usual, we will have that between our non-spoiler section, which is coming up right now, and our spoiler section where we're going to talk about very specifically, you know, the different stories in this in this collection. So without further ado, we present Shadowy Natures, a horror short story collection. So we're going to just kind of really briefly talk about, you know, our feelings <laughs> and whatnot, because there's so, so much to unpack in this collection. And of course, we have that, you know, super, super sexy, hot interview <laughs> with Rebecca Rowland, too. So we want to get into it. I mean, I I feel like I should go last. So Scott... What was your my my experience? Yeah, what was your book? experience? Yeah, I would say that this book was an experience indeed. Um, okay. Every time I think that you know what I'm a horror fan now. I'm a horror aficionado. I I enjoy horror. Something like this comes along and slaps me in the face and says, "No, you're not prepared for true horror." Oh my god! Stop. <laughs> I really enjoyed and appreciated this collection yes but it was a lot for me i would call it a struggle just because i had to like i had to like check in on myself every you know every story or so and it's like are you doing okay is this okay for you i mean I mean, this has already been just an emotional roller coaster of a year, and this definitely feeds into some of the anxieties. Yes. And and I think that the, I think that it's wonderful because of that. But man, was I not prepared! So it's super effective. Y- yes. So it's almost like so you're saying struggle. I am saying struggle. Like, and I, but th- you loved it again. For me, particularly yeah. when it comes to horror novels, 
a struggle experience for me. Yeah. But maybe the best score that I can give it. That's a really that's a really good that's a really good point. It's kind of like when people are like, "Oh, this horror movie, people walked out of it, people cried." It's like that, right? Like exactly. That. That's exactly right. Um yeah. So I <laughs> found this to be, you know, somewhere healthily between Obsession and Page Turner. I thought this collection was absolutely fantastic. I talked about it a little bit over um, on the Colt Show, which we do. Colt Show, hey, there's a little plug, <laughs> YouTube and uh, podcast. But anyway, um, which we talk about horror a lot. And, you know, I... I love horror movies. That is, you know, I can't live without horror movies. It's my thing. Uh, horror books, though, and horror shorts will always be number one in my heart because. <laughs> I mean, people you can't think do this in a movie. there's so few movies out there that are even nearly as extreme, frightening, disgusting, disturbing, nightmare inducing as half the we read and it's like <laughs> you think you're so tough you think you're such a big horror fan you need to read some of the work out there because it will make your hair turn to silver <laughs> and, and you will never ever sleep again and i want to say this part like we've read a few horror short story collections yes, in the yes. past uh both for the show and outside of the show oh, yeah i've been reading them my whole life this one i feel really takes the cake for me as being kind disturbing. of the most disturbing it's not deranged no i've i've read some more deranged things although there's some stories that are pretty nuts yeah but it's very disturbing because it is very psychological yeah that's the whole point yeah this Shadowy is dangerous. yeah exactly this is like the kind of uh collection of stories that puts you in the mind of some bad people some bad people yeah. and it explores that in every story um, I mean, I guess it goes without saying to, gosh, it's always so hard to give triggers, especially for short stories. But these short stories do explore um, some really dark uh, themes. Um, suicide is explored. Um, Self-harm, death of animals, some bad stuff happening to kids is explored. I mean, it, it's really hard to give... I mean, you could give a long list of specific trigger warnings. I'm just going to say, if if there are things... If you're feeling a little, um, you know, a little need to protect yourself right now, then maybe this isn't the collection for you. This might not be the time Save for it. Yeah. Save it for when you have more spoons, you know? <laughs> but um, otherwise, if you're ready to kind of explore some of your own shadowy natures, uh, <laughs> buckle in and, and do it, because this collection is phenomenal. It really is. It, it It is a triumph. It is a triumph. There's not a lot wasted in this. Every story is not going to hit you, you know, as much as, uh, you know, some of the other ones. That's just the way short story collections are. I don't know about that. I think they pretty much all hit me real hard, <laughs> well, to no, be honest. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're going to have favorites, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's there's not a lot of there's nothing that feels like filler to me in this collection, which was nice. Yeah, it is a very complete cover to cover, just uh, excellent writing, excellent writing. Yeah. So what do we do? Should we? Uh, I, I mean, should we give kind of a a recommendation before we get into the interview and spoilers? Yeah, and um, I th I'm gonna go first because I think you're gonna be surprised by my uh, my appeal score for this. All right, I want to hear it. I'm gonna give this a general appeal. 
appeal. Oh, I love that. Which is surprising to me even for how just horror psychologically disturbing this this collection is. Yes. But it's disturbing in a way not like oh just there's all lots of blood and gore and like traditional like real big horror fans are into the psychological part really kind of it digs into that that joy that people find even a little bit in uh true crime mm-hmm. and and psychological thrillers and i so i think that you do have to have a little bit of a strong stomach and be in a good and a good uh headspace to read this i think it goes beyond just horror fans uh, I see what you mean, and I really appreciate that. And I, I actually really, really see what you are going with there. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that's fair. I'm thinking general is pretty fair. Um, I will say, you know, there's all different types of horror and that's kind of the nice thing about short story collections is because you'll have some body horror and some you know maybe some folk horror and and some different things and and you can often find authors and styles that you really like because everybody's not the same in, in their horror tastes uh this is a great collection to expose us all to some different authors and really, really just disturb and scare the bejesus out of yourself. I think the hardest task that you will find after reading this collection is deciding which of these authors to look deeper into. Yeah, and who you want to uh, they're avoid. they're all great. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> avoid because you're scared of them. All I'm, of them. <laughs> I'm just crazy, but horror people are some of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet in your life um we are amazing we are amazing horror people so don't be don't be scared of these nice authors i'm sure they don't bite hard so without further ado i think we've got to talk to rebecca Rowland. i think we got to get into this thing and let's go (laughs) enjoying the show Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Welcome to the show, Genre Junkies. Rebecca Rowland, editor of tonight's short story collection, Shadowy Natures. Hello. Welcome, Rebecca. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of Genre Junkies, so yeah, very excited. Thank you. Oh my God, you humble and embarrass us, but thank (laughs) you. We will take the compliment. (laughs) Um, So let's see, let's just get right into it. Uh, I, I guess I'm fascinated by the short story and the idea of short story collections. How do you even go about starting to choose stories for a collection? Oh my gosh. So this is a long explanation, but <laughs> I I so I do have to tell you. So this is the second anthology that Dark Ink has put out. They're actually primarily known for, well, they've done a lot of horror, um, that but they also have some very big name horror Um, memoirs and biographies. And so, but they decided to sort of branch out into anthologies. And this is the second anthology that they've done. So when we put the call out, I thought, well, you know, maybe we'll get, we want to fill, you know, about 80,000 words, maybe, you know, 15 to 20 stories. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get 50 or 75 stories. And we put it out with a a three-month window. And we were just 
deluged with stories. We ended up having to close it early. We got over 300 stories (gasps) and and they were fantastic stories. I mean, I, I was as someone that's a a writer herself, I read these and I thought, Oh God, I I just need to pack it in. Some (laughs) of the people that are out there writing, there is no way I'm ever going to get to this caliber. Just fantastic stories and so right off the bat, we were sort of a little overwhelmed. So our process was we take in the stories and then um, we read each one once all the way through. And I would say of, of that pile, about 75% of them fit the call. It was psychological horror, um, fit the, the word count. It was something that kind of was very well written. We didn't have to worry about excessive editing, um, something that was sort of an original voice. And then we then had to whittle the pile from there. And as far as how we ended up with 21 stories, I have to tell you that so many of these stories, like I said, were so good. They were just so good. There's so many really solid, talented short story writers out there that it was difficult. We had to turn away quite a few, mm. but the 21 that are in this collection, the way that we chose them, it's, and I kid you not, it was, I read the story and if two or three days later I was thinking about that story, mm. I said, I have, to, I have to have it. I have to have it. And it was for one reason or another. And these stories are so different. You've read them, you know, that yeah. they're very different. Different styles, different voices, a lot of times, you know, different focus completely. Mm. But there was something about it. I mean, I even, I can remember one or two of them saying to people that have no, nothing to do with this anthology, just saying, I, I need to tell you about the story that I read <laughs> two days ago. And just sort of, you know, rehashing. Yeah. And then I knew, I knew, I just, we had to have it. And so each one of these, it's not. And it, because I don't want some of the writers that we had to turn away, I mean, absolutely just incredibly talented. Yeah. But it was just, it was these 21, it was one extra thing. There was something about them that we just, we needed to have them. So we're really fortunate that we're able to get these 21. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be just, uh, I can't even imagine how many good ones there are. And then it's like ones you have to be like, oh, but just not quite for this, the vibe of this collection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there were even a few that, and it just, it was one of these luck of the draw things where I had already fallen in love with one story and then a similar story came down the pike. And I remember there was one in particular that I had read and I said, you know, oh, I'd really like to take this, but I've already fallen in love mm-hmm. with Brian Miller's, you know, Heart, Skull, Heart. And it was so similar to it. I said, no, I can't. I've got to, I've got to keep, you know, we have to see it. Do you know what I mean? Because we wanted yes. something a little bit different because all of them are very, are just, they're different. They're all different. Um, spoiler alert. That's one of my favorites in the collection. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as someone that's from New England, I'm from New England, and we are the home of that horrible, horrible uh, case where the girl um, talked the boy into committing suicide. Yes. And so right off the bat, we read this and I'm like, hey, this rings a bell. And but the way he goes about it is so original and so 
neat. Yeah. yeah. Not at all what you think. Oh, oh I can't wait. Absolutely. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, did you get to know these authors after they were selected? Did you know some of them beforehand? What's, what's that like? So I did know one of them. So one of them is from a previous collection that we did a few years ago that was Halloween based. And he saw our call and he immediately submitted. Um, and that's Lewis Stevenson. He is, and he is, he's such a good writer because he's able to do pretty much any subgenre. I mean, he's very much a chameleon mm. when he writes. And so he submitted Itch. So right off the bat, we had that, which is our, our sort of our body horror. Yes. Um, and, but he was the only one that I knew previous to this. The rest of them I've gotten to know since then because the open call was last fall. So it's been almost an entire year uh. getting to know these writers. And um, a lot of them I have gotten to know very well. And so I, yeah, yeah, but no, no, it was, it was for the most part, very new, very new. So uh, there seems to be kind of a time honored tradition, especially in horror of the short story. What do you think it is about short stories that have such a lasting appeal for these anthologies? I mean, for me, I'm a short story person. I really, especially with horror or anything that's suspenseful. And maybe it's because horror and thriller and anything that's going to sort of evoke that intense emotion of being on the edge and, and being frightened. We can't sustain that for an entire novel. So it's, it's sort of nice to have it in these short bits. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I, and I, but I also think that there are different triggers for different people. Mm. So when you have an anthology, you're going to find that there's going to be something that, oh, you read it and you're like, well, you know, that's fine, but it doesn't really freak me out. And then you read the next one and you think, oh, God, like what's under my bed? I don't even, <laughs> you know, like that kind of a thing. So I, I think that's the appeal, at least for me, for horror anthologies, because I will buy I will buy them myself because mm-hmm. I do like the fact that there is such there is something for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. May may I ask what your like kind of trigger is? Cuz Scott's okay. definitely he, body horror gets to him. I can say uh-huh. that. I'm I have no soul so nothing gets to me. No kidding. <laughs> that's, that's not true at all. <laughs> Well, I ever since I was a kid, and I don't know what this is about because I no one's ever bitten me. I've never had any sort of weird traumatic experience with teeth. Um, I never had to have braces. I was very blessed that way. But even since I was a child, my my aunt can tell me when I was very little, she gave me a doll, and the first thing I said was, "Please don't bite me," which she thought was. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and then use the doll to kind of scare me at any opportunity that she had. But I guess I've, I've had this weird trigger about biting. So when the zombie phenomenon started, I thought, oh, well, I'm in for a treat. But I sort of, I sort of had to get over it. Yeah. Um, but even so, that's sort of why I think mandibular fixation really triggered with me because uh-huh. it's all about the teeth and the kind of and just this whole idea of. So that's, uh, I, I feel like I've gotten over it. I still don't want anyone's mouth, anyone anywhere near me, please. But I, yeah, I think biting. But now as I've gotten older, I think the idea of losing control 
of one's mind and the ability to distinguish what is real and what is not real is very frightening to me. So psychological horror has always been a favorite of mine for that reason, because that is kind of a trope that, that does appear over and over again. And so, yeah, so I guess that's something. Body horror doesn't really freak me out, although I can see, I can understand I can understand why it does. Yeah. Some people. Sure. I'm not crazy about parasites. I gotta say. Yep. That my my other favorite thing and just like subgenre is any sort of secret society or cult and things that look really normal, but underneath it's 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 not normal at all. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. So it's not every day that we get to talk to somebody who has, you know, been so involved with compiling a short story collection. So I really wanted to know how you go about ordering uh, the stories in the collection. Oh, Oh, yeah. And the follow up was going to be, why was mandibular fixation first? But I think we got the answer to that (laughs) one. Yeah, I think it's maybe. Yeah, that's that's probably that's probably, probably now that I'm really. It's almost like you're my therapist. I'm just sitting down, Freudian slip of some kind. I guess. Yeah. My um, I I would say okay. So I do the way that I go about ordering an anthology is for me. There are three, four major spots in an anthology that are very important to schedule. And it's the first story, the second story, the last story, and what's called the tentpole story, which is the sort of smack in the middle. Mm. And so the way that I know I've chosen them is for a first story, you want it to be something that is going to give the reader an idea of what the rest of the collection is going to look like, sort of the feel, the mood of it. And for me, beyond the biting issue, (laughs) beyond the biting (laughs) issue, mandibular fixation was just this sort of progressively creepy story. And there was something simmering right under the surface for me when I read it that really made me uncomfortable. And I I think that that is the best type of psychological horror that's out there. And so I wanted to put that first. The second story should be at that same sort of level, but it might be something that is shorter or is a little quirkier. And so Drifter, and it's so funny, right at the beginning of Drifter, Blackwell establishes that it's it takes place in the old west, the wild west, 1800s. And I am not a fan of historical fiction. Absolutely do not like it. (laughs) So I remember when I sat down to read this, I thought, okay, well, let's just see how this goes. And he just pulled me right into that world. And I was so uncomfortable by the end. I just, it was one of those that I thought, oh, this is so good. This is so good. So we ended up putting that second. Yeah. The... The, the last story in the anthology, I so my favorite short story, I think, of all time would probably have to be Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper. Oh, yeah. I adore that story. Yes. And I was an English teacher for a long time. I taught it over and over again. And usually when you teach something, after a while, you're like, I 
please just stop talking about this story. <laughs> I don't want to look at this book. I, it's just, you just don't even want to, but I still real. I love the story. And when I read Christina Delia's story, that's all I could think of was that voice. And so with the closing story with an anthology, you always want it to be something that's going to reiterate the theme of the anthology, but also close up the mood and leave the reader feeling satisfied, um, but still thinking about the rest of the stories. And I felt like Delia's story really did that because it was so strong and, and so uncomfortable. And then the tentpole stories were hard. Usually with a tentpole, you want it to be something that's going to be as strong as the first or second story. But with these 21, because we were so choosy, there really wasn't a story in here that I felt like was a weak choice. And I, and I say that honestly, mm-hmm. because I have read anthologies where, or I've been the writer in an anthology where I'm like, ugh. I can see where my story is. Like I can tell I'm I'm the weak link here, but it's, but I really did not have one of these in this anthology. So it was more of, I tried to think of what was something that was really going to stand out for readers. And there were a few. So I kind of, you know, shoved them towards the middle and they included uncle um, by Ilan Olenzan, who is, becoming very fast one of my favorite short story writers. And K.N. Johnson's Accessory, which is about the girl who befriends kind of the cool girl in the school. And Andrew Punzo's In a Mother's Eyes about the uh, military official that has to uh, let a mother know that his that her son has been has passed away, and I thought the three of them. I'm going to push them towards the tent pole. But I, to be honest, looking back now, I really could have taken any of the other the remaining 19 stories, 18 stories, and kind of shoved them towards that tent pole. But that's just me. I, I'm not sure how other anthology editors do it. But when I when I do find that a story of mine ends up in one of those positions, I think to myself, yes, like, oh. I've, I've done it. I've done it. It's, I've done yeah, it. So. It's like sports. It's like being a starter or something or <laughs> yes. a lead in a play or yeah. It really is. It is. It is. That's a really good point because I mean, I think I think we've all read collections where, you know, it's impossible. You're not going to resonate completely with every story. But, um, you know, yeah, there is definitely an art to the arrangement. Oh, my God. I just never thought about it. My mind's kind of blown. I kind of feel like you just gave me the blue pill in the Matrix or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no going back now. No, no going back. No. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a question because you you are a writer and we are a fan of your writing. And so we wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. And, and since as an editor of an anthology, you understand a little bit the mind of a writer, um, <laughs> I would think. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my first questions is, what challenges have you had to overcome as a woman in the horror community? Or, or have you found challenges? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. I could tell you, I could tell you so many stories. Oh, good. Um, good. <laughs> I, I think the one that actually is freshest in my mind is so last year, my writing partner and I, my Eloise, we released a book together. We released a, a novel called Pieces. 
And it's about a serial killer that cuts a woman into pieces and then mails the pieces to random people around America. And so we did a whole promotional tour for this book. And we sat right next to each other at all of these tables. And time after time, even though my name is on the sign, my name is on the book, we're right next to each other, I was asked things like, Oh, are you Michael's wife? Are you are you helping out? Are you helping? Oh my god, are you the helper? No. No. It was almost I mean it and at first I thought, well, maybe it's just there I I mean, I don't know. I don't have an excuse for it because what I did notice is no one said to Michael, Oh, are are you her husband helping out? Like that never happened. So I mean, that's, it's, and it just is what it is. I mean, if you look at the primary reader for horror, it tends to be males, you know, ages 20 to 35. Um, and I am neither. So it's, it's one of those, you know, I just, I, I get it. <laughs> right. I you're, get it. You're not what comes to mind, but it's, it's like this ingrainedness in us that, yeah, that they would approach you as like, oh, are you the wife? Are you the helper? Oh, that's, right. yeah. And it is infuriating, but at the same time, it's like, you gotta, I guess, rise above it, I guess. It yeah, it is what though. it is. <laughs> yeah. Me mad on your behalf. I, mean, I did, I, I did, when I first started sending my pieces in to be published, I did consider writing under initials. Uh And a lot of women do do that. Yeah. And I get it. I absolutely get it. You know, when I, I would say 99% of the time when we received a submission that were initials, it was, there were women. But I guess in the end, I thought, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to play the game. Like if you don't want to read this because I, I don't have a Y chromosome. Well, that's on you. That's your baggage. That's not mine. And I do think, I think that I can play with the boys. I think I can be just as disgusting and frightening yeah. and, and not, you, you really, you know, after reading some things, I hope that you're not comfortable being alone with me. <laughs> you know, with, a, with a sharp object. I feel good about that. That makes me feel good. It is what it is. Oh, I love that. As as somebody with a background in education, too, um, I just kind of want to ask you this question. Maybe it's kind of a dumb question, but here at Genre Junkies, we're a big fan of and this is kind of how we started is read anything that catches your attention, just read. Mm-hmm. And it's okay yeah. if it's not what everybody thinks is what you should be reading. Have you been able to k- kind of get people into reading via horror? Uh, well, I work with teenagers and the majority of what I, I have edited or written is I really cannot in good conscience say, like, that's okay. Bring this home. Your parents will be fine with it. I've actually said, um, I've said to kids where they brought my short story collection in, they picked it up at Barnes and Noble or whatever. And and which is so, it's so nice. Like, I'm like, oh, oh, look. And I've said, oh my God, where did you get this book? Where did you get this book? Um, I, I think I, I think with it, but kids are going to like what they're going to like. You know, when you're a teenager, you kind of stick to what is comfortable because you have enough crap going on that you, you know, you don't really want to have to explore things if you don't have to. But I, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's, 
it's a, a nice starting point. Yeah. <laughs> Horror, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, so you're not liking this, you're not liking that. Have you tried horror? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think with the the Walking Dead and and sort of this huge rise of zombie movies and television shows, I think that has been kind of the gateway drug to reading for some of these reluctant readers, which is great. Mm-hmm. This is great. My, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of reading, helping writing. I don't think that we can teach kids how to write well unless they start to read well. Uh, it's 100%. just like speaking. I love that, actually. That's great. That's another mind-blowing. That's an Oprah aha moment right there. <laughs> And you get a horror book. (laughs) Look under your chair. (laughs) So for authors who are aspiring to be included in a short story anthology, how do how do authors get, you know, get introduced and, and find out about them so that they can submit their works? Well, I will tell you because I am a huge fan of this site. So I do not do not feel weird promoting them at all. I absolutely adore them. Um, HorrorTree.com, HorrorTree is, fun- I mean, they are absolutely fabulous about, they post open calls. They're very clear about, you know, what, they'll, they'll put all of the details there. They, uh, an aspiring writer can go on and organize the open calls by if they only want anthologies. They don't care if they're paid. They want something paid. They want something with deadlines. They want something with a rolling deadline. They're fantastic. I think that an aspiring writer should just go peruse what's out there. There are open calls up for everything you can possibly think of. I I tell people who are thinking about submitting, just submit it. Yeah. It's not... No one comes to your house and cuts off, like, uh, you know, a hand. <laughs> if you don't get taken in, it's it's one of these, why not? And I, you really also have to have the experience of getting that rejection email. I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, Stephen King tells the story of how when he was just starting out back when, you know, it was the 1970s, so all of the rejection letters actually came as physical letters and he would take them and he would put them on one of those diner spikes where they would put sort of the, the, the orders that are done. (laughs) He had one of those spikes and he just put another rejection letter until this enormous pile had accrued and look at him today. Yes, I, I, I think that it builds character. I think it also makes you a better writer because if you are submitting a story 20 times and 20 times the the editors are saying, no, it's not really for us. It really forces you to go back, hopefully, into that story and say, what am I not doing correctly? What do I need to tweak? Or maybe this, maybe I, I just need to put this aside and look at it another time. Um, just, you know, just do it. There's nothing, you cannot lose anything. The only thing you can possibly gain is is insight. Yeah. And and possibly too, you know, getting that that story accepted, which feels absolutely incredible. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's not like the some guy's going to show up with like you know you press this button and somebody's going to die, but we'll take your short right. story. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, I would love to hear some of your recommendations for people for horror novels and books or short stories, big, small, just anything that you can help uh, turn our reader, our readers, listeners on to. Oh, my gosh. So it's so funny you should say that because I actually made a point this summer to go ahead and try to read as many independent horror pieces as I could, only because I'm also a big believer in karma. And and Dark Inc. is a small independent press that I don't have, I don't own, but I am employed by them. And I know that they really do their best to try to promote independent, newer authors. So I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to look at other presses' new stuff. And so the few things that I saw, so the very first thing, I just read this collection by Frederick Pangborn, and it was, and I wish I could think of the press and I can't think of it, but the name of it is Nightmares of the Damned. It is... A comic, it's got a little bit of psychological horror, horror, a little bit of supernatural horror. It really runs the gamut. So there's something in there for everyone. It's definitely one of these books where you're going to find something that you are going to really like. But beyond that, he's a very good, solid writer. Mm -hmm. So reading through his stories, even if it was something where I thought, well, that's not really the kind of horror that I'm in love with, I still liked the story because he really is a good storyteller. And he incorporates a lot of um, mythology that maybe we aren't aware of. So that was really solid. Another piece that I read that I really liked was um, a short story collection by Robert Atone called Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares. And So I got to know this writer because he happens to be in an upcoming collection, an anthology that that we're doing that's going to be releasing in the spring. And I really liked his writing. So I sought out this collection that I knew was coming out this summer. And it's really neat because the title story is this horror satire on our obsession with social media and influencers. Yes. So good. It's so solid. Um, so he's phenomenal. And I did take the leap, and I'm not a huge fan of splatter porn. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. You know, it's, it is what it is. But I did know of this writer, John Steffens, who I've, I've liked his short work, and he released this novella called The God in the Hills. And it is so cre- it is so gory. So if you are a gore fan, you will eat this up because his imagery is just above and beyond. It's absolutely just phenomenal. So yeah, I could go on and on. Sandra okay. over here is furiously taking notes. Yeah, like I'm we like, don't have uh, an audio uh, record of uh, what uh. you're saying. But. <laughs> I'm too excited. I want to start now. There are so many newer independent writers that I think are coming up. I mean, we're so used to seeing the old standbys like Stephen King kind of, you know, he just sort of, you know, shells them out. But it's now there are so many of these new writers that we don't see a lot of light shown on. And I think it's because they do come from smaller presses. And I wish there were a way, because even the, the, so this is just my little soapbox moment. So the, 
the brick and mortar store stores like Barnes and Noble, they are not fans of carrying independent press books mm-hmm. right? for a lot of reasons. And that's a shame. That's really a shame because I think that it just reinforces this this glass ceiling that independent newer writers are are trapped under and newer presses and independent presses are trapped under and it's too and it's it's really too bad because there really is there's so many fantastic fantastic writers out there right and it's kind of like unless you're kind of tuned into this other side of it it's like you're missing out on a lot of wonderful horrifying nightmare inducing content <laughs> but yeah, you know it's yeah. it's so good um i have to say to you you guys you editors you writers how do you come up with the names for these anthologies and short stories because they're all so great i love shadowy natures i mean there's so many it's like do you guys have a like one of those internet name generators that you go to <laughs> Oh, God. If you ever come across one, please give it to me because we actually had a lot of difficulty coming up with the name for this one because we knew it was going to be psychological horror. Mm-hmm. And and so even when we were advertising the open call, it was sort of, oh, an untitled psychological horror. And it wasn't until we had the collection together and um, you know, the owner of the press said, you got to come up with a title. I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. And I sort of pitched just a ton of them. And he's like, no, no, that doesn't work. And I'm a huge, huge fan of, of Poe. And I can remember reading this essay where he does talk about, you know, the psychological aspect of, of scary stories. And so I went back and I reread the essay and I saw this quotation and I thought, this is it. This is it. And I pitched it. And so we we ended up with shadowy natures. And that was just, honestly, it was just the the luck of the draw that we stumbled across that. I wish I had a magical machine, like you were saying, because it is tough. It's tough. It's got to like grab people, but it also has to like uh, be indicative of the collection. Right. And the other issue you also have to think of is on Amazon, because that's where everyone goes now to buy a book. If you type in a title that is too similar to one that is a very popular title, your book is going to end up at the bottom of the list. So you also have to think of a title that's going to, you know, if someone does a search, it's going to pop up. So it's, it's just, it's, yeah, it's tough. Oh my gosh. This has been awesome. So insightful and interesting and delightful. Rebecca, thank you so, so much for getting this book into our hands and on our radar and for talking to us today. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. Like I said, I am a huge fan of this podcast already. I have to tell you that there are a couple of books that you have recently reviewed that are already in my wish list. No. And so no. thank you oh so, so much because I also do notice you do pick these independent press books that maybe people would have missed um, had you not drawn attention to them. So thank you so much. And especially on behalf of, of these 21 writers who are just some of the most talented writers that I think I, I've worked with. And um, so to give them this this hour where you can talk about them is really, it's phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. You are an absolute 
rock star. How cool is she? She's awesome. And she's I feel like wonderful. I feel like we got some inside baseball in that one too. There was some good info. I it, it's the first time that I've really gotten the chance to ask questions of someone who's edited and compiled a short story collection. So I learned a lot. And I love having it from her point of view since she is a phenomenal writer and she's an educator and she's an editor. So it's like she really understands I feel how this works, how her the short story world works and how to put it together. So that was a really, really cool, insightful person to have on the show. Absolutely. Plus she's lovely. She is lovely. And she, I, and I know that she said, you know, this is a, this is a collection where as she calls, there really isn't a tent pole. Right. I will be very interested to discuss with you what you feel your tent pole was because I'm having trouble. <laughs> I, I'm having a lot of trouble. I mean, I really don't think there was, there's, kind of a midpoint um which i can identify but it's not like you know things change after that story i i don't know we'll see we'll kind of yeah. get into it so for those of you who've not joined us for a short story collection before kind of what we do here is we go uh basically step uh, story by story sometimes we don't have time to talk about every story uh or s- sometimes we don't have time to talk about every story in depth so don't be you know don't be offended. Don't be worried. We're not saying a story is bad. We just might not have as much to say about each one. But we basically just go boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Many and, reviews of every story. Yeah, and since these are by multiple authors, um, I did use. I, we always do this. Um, the guide in the back of the book, the about the authors, to say uh, which pronouns that author prefers. So that's how we do it over here at Genre Junkies. And I can't wait to talk about the first story. So, Sandra, let's let's hear a synopsis. <laughs> oh, as Rebecca kind of said, it really starts out with a bang. Mandibular Fixation by Lee Roselle. Lee uses he, him pronouns. A Christian guy has weird nightmares and, well, weird tooth stuff happens. <laughs> this story, first of all, a big applause for this being the first story because yes. it really does set the tone. But I am so confused. <laughs> I read this story three times. The first time, yeah. immediately after I read it, I read it again. And then as, as soon as I finished the short story collection, I read this immediately upon ending the last story. Yes. I am just... I am confused. Lee, 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 honey, did you write this after you'd had dental work and you were kind of like tripping a little? And I mean that in the best way possible because that's how I felt. I felt like I just had like tooth work done and I was like, you know, is this real life? (laughs) What's happening? This was written as the fever dream by current orthodontist, former WWE star Hulk Hogan. (laughs) It's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and it's wonderfully crazy and it touches on themes of religion and Christianity which I love exploring in horror and you know kind of this weird patriarchal bullshit that I hate um and you you do not like the lead character you're very compelled where this story is going fever dream perfect way to put it. Yeah. Do you did you understand the references to wrestling moves? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I understood we what love those wrestling. moves are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand how it, like, how all that kind of rolled into the the universe that was being created. I think it was just, I don't know, it was such a exploration of this 
the, what's going on in this man's mind. It's like, it just isn't, it doesn't make sense in a good way. I'm not saying I loved this story. I, mean, I thought it was fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's just like you feel like you're dreaming because the way it moves from kind of vignette to vignette to vignette. And and I will just say as well, uh, the description of all of the teeth in the skull Um I did not catch at first that there was something weird about it because I don't know if you've ever seen the x-ray of a child's skull. I sure have. You know I love teeth. horrifying. I have a thing about teeth that kind of like... We are frightening creatures. Yes, we are. We are scary. It's gross looking. I actually have some teeth and like I have a mandible in my sleeve tattoo um, (laughs) because teeth are weird and spooky bones outside your body. Yeah, I guess so. There's just teeth are just inherently a little weird and amazing. Next <laughs> <laughs> up next we have Drifter by C. W. Blackwell. Uh C. W. uses he him pronouns. This is the story of uh takes place in Central California in eighteen fifty. A drifter and his companions i have um a soft spot in my heart for historical horror i love historical horror you guys know that we've talked about it on the show i thought this story was inspired just fantastic because you know there was a certain point in time where we didn't like to talk about things and oh it's the good old days i always talk about the good old days and there was never good old days the people have always been horrible murderous and awful to each other and thank you, C.C.W. Blackwell, for reminding us. I thank you. I like this a lot. Uh, this is this is kind of the story in this book that I feel like could be made into like an HBO series. Oh, I about love a guy that. who just keeps picking up a new um, companion project, if you will. Oh, but like we would have to have like the law person that's like hunting him down. Yeah. Oh, this could also be a Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Yeah, all these things. I, I this this one was was fun in a way. Yeah, like, it to was. Think about it was to think about like what happened before, what's happening in the future. Just you yeah. know, him having you know a new acquaintance every episode. And, and well, in like the way he obviously feels like he's not doing anything that bad. You know, like it, it's such a warped worldview he has of how he collects his companions. Yeah. Um. It is just, it's a fun, spooky little story like that, but disturbing. Sorry, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Taking Out the Garbage by Thomas Vaughn. Thomas uses he, him pronouns. A convenience store employee reflects on the state of his neighborhood. Wow, this one was really something. This was something. I, I am conflicted on how I feel about this one. Mm hmm. Um, we don't live in an area that is um, that is quite that affected by drugs and crime. True. Luckily, we're very, very fortunate. Yeah. There's a part of me, uh, and this may be the white privilege part of me, that um, feels like that's kind of been, quote unquote, done. Um, but I really liked the way that the story was told. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I think I get what you're saying is because there's some kind of taxi driver you know sort of uh dirty hairy feel to Mm -hmm. this story a little bit without there being as much um vigilantism i guess overt vigilantism um i felt 
I felt empathy for the convenience store clerk and, you know, how he just needed to keep working. And at this point, just like a couple more years and he could be out of there. But at the same time, he was an insidious type of person himself yeah Yeah. and so it was hard for me to like him Mm -hmm. um i don't know i i hope i where i want the story to go because it's a little open-ended i want him to start killing people and to kill cool and you know all, all and really be the one taking out the trash taking out the garbage I guess I was, I guess maybe I'm confused by the story because I felt like at the end it was suggested that he was the one taking out the garbage. I think he's going to start. I don't think he started yet. Okay. That's kind of like the indication I got is I think he got to maybe a breaking point. I don't know. And I don't know if he's going to recruit other people in the neighborhood. The other still good, quote unquote, good people. I don't know. I'd be very curious to see. And it makes my mind think about like, where this character would go and where he would take his vigilanteism to the next step. Um, up next, we have Seven Days of Dog Walking by Scotty Milder. Uh, sorry, I'm, and I'm, of course, I'm very sorry if I pronounce anybody's names weird. So Scotty uses he, him pronouns. Scott, he stole your name. Um, a guy walks his dog and kills a girl he's left... <laughs> <laughs> after. Oh. Uh, my my synopses crack me up. I always try to keep them short. Um this was uh I mean, oh my god, this guy, I hate him so much for lusting after this young girl, but I, I thought the way that this was written and unfolded was fantastic. It, it I don't know how he just fell into this cycle of complete madness. He was clearly just not a great person to begin with. And the way that I think suburbanism and trying to live everyday life is a little bit of a theme with some of the stories in this collection. And, you know, like how it's like Scotty's sick of Scotty, I'm going to say Scotty, like he's the narrator of this book. He's uh, sick of saying the same things to the same people every day Mm -hmm. and doing the same things with his wife every day. It's like why he wants to tell people like, what is it? Fine as an octopus or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Like he just is, he's just gone mad from the monotony. Yeah, but there's there's better ways to go through a midlife crisis <laughs> than by lusting after a 16-year-old and then murdering her well, for sa- really no reason. <laughs> I'm obviously not saying I support the guy. I don't like him, but um, I think the way the story unfolded was so smart. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, next up, this is, um, oh, this one's a little hard. Um, In Control by uh, Joseph Rubis. Joseph uses he, him pronouns. Uh, Troubled Frankie kills his horrible, abusive mom. Okay, this was the first story that really got under my skin. Yeah, this one was hard to read. It was hard to read because it was... In a good way. In a good way. (laughs) It was, well, yeah, this is not, this is, this is... Yeah, you could consider a compliment to the story, but um, I consider it a compliment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the way that he talked about, like he thought about his mother, disturbed me. The way that his mother was disturbed yeah, the way me. She treated him upset me so greatly. Um, it's just it's it's so unhealthy on both sides. The way that he's just you know almost in a uh, in a in a in a. Uh, Norman Bates sort of way just loves his mother and wants to love his mother. Um, but also like 
cannot handle just how horrible and abusive she is to him. Um, I mean, this is, I think this one's particularly hard because this is a type of relationship that happens every day and does happen in your neighborhood and you might not even know it. And um, it's sad. It's it's a, you know, a chicken and the egg argument of like, you know, Frankie's so disturbed, but is he so disturbed because his mother was so completely awful? Um, I wasn't sad to see her go. (laughs) I, I definitely, I didn't like Frankie, of course, but I had empathy towards him. I really, oof, oof, I'm just surprised he didn't knock his mom off earlier. I'm surprised he held out that long. But yeah, the, 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 this one, this one, this one hurt. This one hurts. I I had to take, take a really long break after this one. And by really long break, I mean days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well done, Joseph. Fantastic, disturbing you're writing about, which is important. Um, up next, we have Maternal Bond by Casey Griffon, uh, Casey is, uh, uses she, her pronouns. A new mom meets coyotes. <laughs> oh my God, I love your synopsises. Um, I thought this story was just great. Uh, absolutely. One of these, you know, this is the, the slice of life domestic horror that um, I think really is important right now. Absolutely. So one, it explores two kind of themes when it comes to, uh, you know, parenthood, motherhood in particular. Uh, one, it does explore a bit of, of, well, of postpartum. postpartum depression yeah. and the... Um, and the mania that can come from that, yeah. as well as that maternal instinct to do anything for your child. I mean, yeah. you would feed yourself to coyotes for stitches. I've already done it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just a great story. Or my snack. It's just that that was actually that was that was just a great story. It was. It's. Um, I think those voices, especially from women. Um, you know, writing this stuff, I think it is so important. It's so, so, so important because there's, you know, we've known a few people uh, our age who've gone through postpartum issues and it's, it's huge mm-hmm. and it's scary and it's something that deserves to be explored in, in every different capacity and literature. And it, it makes for very compelling stuff to write about too. But she didn't have to feed her pet to them first. You know what? Scott and I, of course, having a snake and a cat, we're a little bit more like, feed the human yeah. before you feed the animal. I'd, I'd probably be better if she just fed the baby to them than fed the pet. <laughs> and just kept the pet. <laughs> was it her cat or her dog? I'm trying to remember. I think it was a cat. Yeah. Oh, we're twisted. We're twisted. You say you're not a horror person. Just look at you. <laughs> Um, up next, we have Ring Rock by James Edward O'Brien. James uses he, him pronouns. Um, on a rural property, <laughs> a couple meets a murderous neighbor. <laughs> um, so this one, th- this one rides the line between being fun and being really disturbing. I had a feeling, I had a prediction that this was actually going to be one of your favorites. It's... <sighs> It was one of the more effective. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites. Okay. I, okay. Let me start by saying, I don't know if I can pick 
a favorite okay, in okay, this. Okay. Uh, I have a couple. Yeah. Because, I have one. Yeah. because none of them, what I say, were like, oh, I love this and I want to read it again and again and again. <laughs> um, so the the biggest the biggest thing about this that disturbed me was not so much even just oh there's a murderer across the field or whatever his mindset and his resentment of being in the situation that he's in it's like you know you have the ability to speak up you have the ability to make yourself happy you put yourself in this situation and yes your wife maybe could be you know a little bit more there but you know these are this is these are agreements that you make with people that you love and you yeah. make and you and you marry like you come into agreements and you make compromises and just like with relationships it's what you do and if you did that yeah figure it out man <laughs> um this one was it's there's a lot to unpack in this story um there's that awesome again kind of domestic relationship marriage stuff going on that makes you think and makes you think a lot about like how you're describing and and then there's also kind of this killer next door thing um you know and it's it's one of those things where <sighs> it, it's you kind of like you see it coming and you're like oh god how is this gonna go and i was like so i was like so mad that like the guy founds out that like he called the cops on him and i, I mean it was just like is really um a tension building story too and the idea of that photo showing up in the frame uh, was incredibly creepy oh my god that was really creepy that was a great device that should be used more often if that like showed that. up in our house pack we would just be be gone nope right out of there nope nope, nope that nope. would be the one that would be the one thing that would probably get me to 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 leave this house yeah it's something like that happening um ooh next up ooh <laughs> We have Uncle by Ellen Olafson. Um, Ellen uses she her pronouns. Um, sorry, my fellow Scandinavian. I don't think I pronounced your last name right. This is about a kid being raised by a murderous uncle in their motel. Um, yeah, this one was probably for me the hardest to read. Um, I have a weakness, like many people do, for when kids are in abusive living situations it gets under my skin a little bit and 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 that's in a good way i mean obviously like hello <laughs> uh, proof that i'm human right um i loved the twist of the older lady that lived in the hotel too that had killed her family um yeah what an insidious horrible horrible man the uncle is so it's I I agree with you that this one is incredibly disturbing. Yeah. But this, you know, I said I can't really pick a favorite. This might be one of my favorites. There's a lot going on. There's a lot nuanced going on in this story. And there's something about the the idea of this kid being raised basically to follow in his uncle's footsteps. Yeah, he's and raising to be a, a he's raising yeah. a serial killer. That's that's really like fan like like it, <sighs> having trouble it's fascinating it really is fascinating it is it is fascinating and the boy is written so interestingly like, like there's moments in there and this is very disturbing yeah at first i was thinking to myself is the twist going to be that this is actually like the uncle's 
dog oh is this young uh-huh. you know because there is kind of like he is kind of treated and acts kind of like a dog like he's found a place to hide yeah he's found and and he's treated kind of a little subhuman which again yes totally disturbing yeah um i think maybe that thought at the beginning shielded me from some of that in the beginning mm-hmm. and shielded me from being mm-hmm. too disturbed by it right and just just the way that like it it this kid thinks that this is normal right there's something that has happened in this child's life where they are still naive there's a naivete there's an innocence but the grooming has begun yes the seeds have been planted which yeah the more i think about it the more disturbed i am yeah. by it even more and i think about the story again but on reading it i it was probably one of my favorites yeah it certainly gives you a lot to think about up next, we have In a Mother's Eyes by Andrew Punzo. Andrew uses he, him pronouns. A lieutenant colonel who tells people their family has been killed overseas goes to visit an unbalanced mother. Ooh! I have to say, this was one of those stories where I read it and I was like, Andrew, where did you even come up with this concept? In the best way. Like, that's kind of one of the fun things about short stories is you get a snippet. So people come up with these wild concepts. And there's so much that is unexplained that does not need to be explained for the story. Like, no, no, no. like, this, like this other brother, like who, yes. who she hates. You have no idea really why. You have no idea what what his story is, where he is, if he is still alive, what the situation is. I mean, actually, you kind of do find out he is still alive. Like, you don't know any yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. You just know that, you know, she had the good son and she had the bad son for whatever that means. And she also, like, I guess... She's murderous. ...thinks that these two are them. Sons? Yeah. It, I, this is another example of a story in this book where I don't know how... Like, this is not something I can do. I don't know how the authors create these characters and then create the way that they think. The way that they see the world around them is so foreign as just to be absolutely fascinating. Well, and like I said, just like the idea, like, where does this come from? I mean, I guess there's something about, you know, I guess having a, a job where you go into people's homes there's an intimacy and there's a risk and you think oh he's he's military there's another military guy outside they do this every day it's gonna be fine it's gonna be hard but it's business as usual and it's like no he really gets more than he bargained for in this house and it shows like that you know kind of that nobody's safe taboo Mm -hmm. oh up next is one of my favorites in the collection I almost want to call it like fourth runner up. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be Accessory by K.N. Johnson. K.N. uses she, her pronouns. Chrissy finds herself accessory to murder with mean girl BFF Jenny. Okay, this is probably my other favorite. This story is fantastic. I mean, they're all great. They're all great. Everybody is beautiful, beautiful snowflake in the story. We love them. But man, was this cool. So... We talked a little bit about the uh, in the beginning about what kind of we felt might be the unofficial tentpole of this of this collection. I feel like this really this really was for me. Yeah, this is cool. It's a yeah. it's a good long story. Yeah, there's a whole lot of possibilities where this can go. Yeah, you know, there's there's 
there's kind of playing around with witchcraft yeah. and and other and other things of that nature. There's there is that female mean girl, friendship, female friendship, mean girls, friendship. like yes, which and, I love all of those themes exploring those. And while it does go to one of those places that I expected, it doesn't go there in the way. That I was expecting. No, Chrissy, it turns out, is a murderer. And she was the whole yeah. time. Yeah, she's now at the end of the story, she's murdered two people, including a little girl, um, all to get close to Jenny and then to get rid of Jenny. Um, and Jenny is a murderer, but she's not smart enough. She's not calculating enough. She's just kind of like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, everything about this story, twi- the, the way it unfurled, it was like a beautiful flower. It was great. It was really, really good. Really smart. I think that that's. I think that that's a short story. It was perfect the length that it was. Yeah. I could have seen that story actually fleshed out into an entire book or at least a novella as well. Totally, totally. That's yeah. one of those. Like, what's great about short stories is you really get that sense of of dread and dis and just like being disturbed throughout the entire story. This is something where I could see like actually being able to draw it out even further this would be a this would be a really good movie this would netflix coming soon to netflix or shutter (laughs) hulu um this story was so i don't want to say fun but i found this story very fun this is the type of story i feel like the the way this one made me feel is something that i haven't got to feel in a long time and that is the wolf gang by barry dark Barry uses he, him pronouns. Uh, a white-collar co-worker spends the night at another one's house and sees some creepy-ass pictures. So now we're going back to a completely, like, unexplained, crazy yep. situation. I have felt this way from stories before, but it's been a while since I've felt this way. And it is a very welcome feeling of disturbed and fear that, I really like um, where it is unexplained. It is unapologetic. You're just coming across something really disturbing. It's really disturbing. And what actually makes it even weirder is that the the, the narrator, the pr- protagonist, whatever you want to call him, he's talking to them like there's nothing actually weird about it. Well, he's like trying, he's like something snapped in his little brain a little. And he's like, haha, you know, like those pictures. And they're all just kind of glaring at him at the table. Like, how did, maybe I should do a picture like. Maybe I should do a picture like that. Maybe I should hire a photographer. He's like and I'll be frowning yeah. into a car. That, that's a great idea. Bye. Yeah, exactly. He's just glib and just like <laughs> and everything's normal here. Everything's fine. And it's <laughs> like you know, I I wouldn't have liked this as much if it was just the you know the the man, the dad, if he will, the husband who was being abusive and strange in the photos. But it's the wife and the little boy too. The whole family. The whole family weird. is just f-ing twisted, <laughs> and it's like it's so wonderful. And, and you don't know if if that is really just kind of like an inside joke they have as a family. No way. Is that something that that the family does? Those, those pictures actually didn't look like that at all, and the and the narrator is just snapped for some reason and sees them that way. What's happening? Is he under so much stress at work? <laughs> it's a very weird story, and it is. Yeah. But I appreciated that this story didn't have like. It didn't have like a a, a murderous ending or a horror ending. The he ending just never talk to him again. Yeah, yeah, no, the yeah. ending is okay. Yeah, we did our presentation and then we left the company and that was it. Yeah, 
Oh, okay. Cool story, bro. He's like, I want to forget these people. I'm deleting him out of my phone. Um, I think one of the things this really goes to show, this collection and this story, is these white-collar, rich, upper-middle-class suburban types are the ones you got to look out for. Mm-hmm. These are the people that snap and are crazy disturbed. It's not us normal, poor folk. It is these guys. They're the, they're the sick ones. I love it. <laughs> oh, this story. Oh, man, I loved this story. His death brings no respite by Thomas Kearns. Thomas uses he, him pronouns. Um, a man gets revenge on the dying guy who spurned his late love. This one painted such a picture. I felt like I was watching a movie, like I was watching an episode of TV, which is the way books and stories always are, but it just was full of color and it came alive before my eyes. I cannot believe that this group of men are not real. And this was not a real story I was reading. And of course, anytime there is queer representation in books, you know, your genre junkies are here for it. Yeah. And uh, wonderful story. So I agree. This is, this is one of those stories that, I guarantee you two years from now, I want to say, what was that weird movie that we watched where like, I don't even, I don't even want to say some of these things out loud on the show. It is really like graphic in a, in a way that's not like, that's not like, okay. The bathroom scene. Oh yeah. The bathroom scene was so gross. Something you could, you, you will never see in, any like you know normal on netflix film let's put it that way uh but yeah i feel like we watched a really really crazy horror short well and it's one of those two where i don't want to say i was rooting for the main character i wouldn't put it that way but i was very much like i was feeling his pain a lot and i was feeling his like i have to do this for for him i have to do this for him and then you get, you know, the guy who's dying's perspective. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? I, like, y- you're wasting, uh, you know, this is ridiculous. Don't you see how this guy treated you? Like, it really kind of flips it on its head a little bit. Uh, yes. And I agree that I definitely felt for him. But I, you know, it, it is, it's fed to us, the reader, very early on that something is, something doesn't, you know, add up because he's kind of talking about like he died because he loved this guy, but, but, but he, the narrator, that was his partner. That was his partner. Yeah. So wait, what is going on here? Because, right. and I do say, partner not out of because they're yeah. gay but because we don't really know the full extent of what yeah. their relationship was defined as um and that was like very huh like you devoted yourself to this man who was ready to leave you i i i, I put it this way i i got from the very beginning that he was an unreliable narrator yes yes yeah which we love yes um i'm so, i'm sorry i'm sorry that all these nice people had to die <laughs> Something else that, okay, the parts that disturbed me the most in this story is just kind of my own thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's all the things he ends up kind of doing for Caden yeah. while he's planning to kill him. Planning to kill him or at least get this this confession. Yeah. And 
But I, I also found it really fascinating that there's kind of this, like, there's this, there's this hatred and this bitterness towards Caden. But really, throughout the 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 course of the story, what he ends up doing is caring for him, right? And then not he, doing the best job of it, mind you. But and he ends up killing his boyfriend because he really wants to make him suffer. Yeah. But he does all these kind of nice things for him throughout the story. Yeah. There's so much nuanced in this. Um, like I said, I, I feel like this is so real. And I want to read a book about this group of men and their lives and when they lived in the rehab together and yeah. the misadventures and the conversations they got into to have them all form these really complicated ties to one another. Yeah, it, this was just some brilliant writing. Very excited. And um, I mean, all of these authors are prolific. And uh, I looked at Thomas Kearns, and he has quite a catalog to read through, which is great. My Father's House by Jeremy Billingsley. Jeremy uses he, him pronouns. Um, an adult son who is a police officer visits the neighborhood where his serial killer father lives and interviews one of his survivors. So this is another one that is that what the reason why he's doing these things is not clear. This story is so open. It's wonderful. This is so open to interpretation. I mean, he could just be doing this to just satisfy his own conscience. He could actually, I mean, it is obviously a little bit of an unhealthy obsession. Sure. But he could be really just doing this so that he can talk to the people. Right. Is he trying to prove that he's not like his father? Is he trying to prove that he is like his father? What, what, what is his goal with this? What is, what is he trying to get out of this move and this new job and knowing these survivors and you can take it so many different ways yes now i am a firm believer that he is planning on um finishing his father's work sure i really don't know which i am so 50 50 about this yeah it, it, but i would totally be okay with the other with the other um outcome because it really is so open-ended and it's like oh it's i love a beautiful story. i love ambiguous endings and very open to interpretation endings and it, i don't in novels but i do in short stories <laughs> um i love it and it's actually hard to write well and um jeremy did a great job of it oh man here we go itch by Lewis Stevenson. Lewis uses he, him pronouns. This is the other potential tentpole. Mm. Um, sister grossed out by brother and his skin. Mania ensues. <laughs> so I feel like I need to take the first crack at this. So I have OCD <laughs> diagnosed um, as one of my cocktail of <laughs> mental health struggles as we all have. And um my ocd does lean into self-harm and it does lean into some of the things that manifest in this book mm -hmm. so i felt deeply viscerally um involved in this story and ah <laughs> man was this so well written absolutely gross but um, really, I mean, I don't want to say I feel called out, but this is one of those type of stories where it's like, I feel a bit exposed because this is very close to home. 
Does that make sense? It, I'm not as crazy as these people. No, <laughs> no, it does make sense. And I think you'll be surprised to hear that I had a really visceral reaction to this as well. Oh, I don't think that's surprising. But, I think anybody would. Well, I know, but I mean, <laughs> for different parts of it, but similar, but similar reasons in a way. Yeah. Um. So first of all, I have, and Sandra will attest. Very dry skin, particularly in the winter. And if I don't take very good care of my face in particular, I look and peel like an alligator on a daily basis. Now, with my problems I've described and Scott's problem he's now describing, he'd think this was a recipe for disaster. But this is why we're not the characters in Itch. (laughs) Yes. Um... (laughs) I feel like you're setting it up to make it sound like this was our life story. I Yeah, I know. Um, There's... I'll just say that there is something else in regards to like dry skin that that really um, got to me as well. So like yours, I know had to do with part of it. Mine really focused on like the dry skin and the way it was described as being like clogged in the drain and floating through the air and oh and the oh the carpet bugs oh, oh my, my god. god. Sandra and I both have a thing for infestations in general and carpet bugs definitely are, 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 are right above silverfish. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it was, Uh, it, it, this was a hard, this was a hard one. I've also, you know, where aunties and uncles and, um, some of the littles in our lives, um, have had cradle cap and it is weird. (laughs) Just, I mean, it happens and it goes away and it's fine, but cradle cap is weird. It's gross. Is that the fungus thing? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's weird. And the baby has it at the end. Yeah, so, well, I mean, um, supposedly. Yeah. No, no, the mom, no, it, she, the baby has it, but it's fine. It should be fine. It shouldn't be as... Do you, you think the baby just has cradle cap, or do you think the baby has the same thing as the brother? Probably just cradle cap. I don't know. It. I don't know. Oh, anyway, anyway, uh, this is definitely the most body horror, and it also made me feel kind of like the, the other thing that this it did made me sad. It made me really sad. It actually made me sad, and it made me feel very conflicted in myself yeah. because. You know, the brother, really, he just has a condition. Yeah, he's still a person. He's still a person. She, I mean, he, she treats him like garbage. She's awful. She is awful. And and at first, I mean, I'll fully admit, my first, like, my first and honestly last thought was fear and disgust. And that's not fair. It's not fair. Like, that's, and that sucks of me. That yeah. sucks just in general. I and mean, I think that that's kind of maybe what the author was kind of, was kind of the suggest. point. I mean, the thing is, is that if we knew that individual in real life, we would not treat him any differently. And, you know, we would be compassionate and everything. It's the way it's described by, by, by her. the sister. Yeah. And it's that kind of, you know, that creeping dread. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what it is. Oh, up next is one of my favorites in the collection. Like, absolutely one of my favorites, which is Heart Skull Heart by Brian Miller. Brian uses he, him pronouns. Uh, Dad finds out the teen daughter um, convinced, well, at least one boyfriend, to complete suicide. And this is, of course, very, very vaguely based off of a real-life case. Ripped from the headlines. Ripped from the headlines. But it's it's not. It's totally different. But, you know, this is what got this mindset on all of our radars. Um, what did I say to you, Sandra, when I finished this story? 
Uh, I think he moaned. <laughs> I said, holy Yeah, this one goes there. I mean, that real life case is very... It's disturbing it's, on its oh, own. It is. It's compelling. Um, It's, you know, it's kind of... Like, it's not new. I know people were doing this before the internet and before social media and text message and all that. But with the way our technology works, and especially the way our youth uses it, it's now become something we actually have to actively think about. Mm -hmm. I love also the dad's confliction because most people who do bad things not all but they are complicated and they do have layers and those close to them sometimes are like oh i never would have thought or you know whatever because they see different parts of this person yes they see what they want to see the way that she just he describes like you know he has trouble like like making these two people be the same person in his mind the person in the photograph versus the person in front of him yeah um I also really like the, the the conceit of this story, that it is a final letter. It's an explanation letter. And, there, yeah. and it's suggested at the very beginning in the way that it's written. Like, one thing you need to know before you open the door, don't, don't open, open the door. Well, yeah, because you're going to find your husband and your daughter dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's one of those things I'm like, I, I read that those two lines a couple times, like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't get, get it. I don't yeah. get it. And then when it closes with the same thing and you realize that it then you know, love daddy. Oh. And there's the emojis, which is also the title skull heart skull. Is there something so every day, there's something so innocent about those emojis. And, but it's becomes kind of her calling card. Mm hmm. Um, I, yeah. To make that, that horrible story, that horrible real life, real life story, and then make it pathological. Oh, and I mean, the fact that like, she kind of, uh, you know, protests, but then she really is just kind of like, okay, jigs up. It's like, she's not anything innocent, kind, sweet, (laughs) childlike about her. No, she's psychopathic. Yeah. She's sociopathic. Yeah. No, she's psychopathic. Uh, she's all the pathics. I don't, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm. Yeah. Well, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. Um, <laughs> yeah. D- deeply disturbing. Greatly written. Oh, this is a fun story. Cuckoo by Liam Hogan. Liam uses he, him pronouns. Changeling with a twist. Yeah. Um. I thought this story was a great amount of fun. I loved that it had that great twist ending where the brother is just setting this all up and he has the vague memory. No, he's the one that was switched. Yeah, although I have to agree with his father. There's no way that you can remember that. But he's not quite human, I think, is the thing here. Okay. Well, who 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 makes that offer? Who's the one that approaches the family to be like, leave out this deformed kid and I'll leave you a new one? Who does that? Nobody does that. That's weird. There's something supernatural going on. And that's also awful. Well, it's completely awful. But there's something a yeah. little bit supernatural going on. Yeah. It has to be, right? I, I I do feel like there's something supernatural. Yeah. And I liked, I love a changeling story. So I thought that was cool. Oh, here we are too. <sighs> My other favorite story in the collection, I read it twice. Lemonade by Paul Stansfield. Paul uses he, him pronouns. Great uncle and his book of pain. Um, 
this is this is probably this is in my top stories as well. Somehow, this author created a completely rare, fascinating one of a or at least three of a kind book mm-hmm. that I would not want in my possession. <laughs> like we've we've talked about it before. If we had the opportunity to own a book that was that happened to be bound in human skin, we probably would. Depends on the book. It depends on the book, but I mean, like that is a thing. Like there we, are we, books found in human skin. Yeah, we do have a collector streak in us. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, we're book people. Yeah. yeah. It, it, if we had, like, we would collect strange oddities and curios. Yes. Um, this is a step too far, and it's like, yeah, the author said, "What is the absolute just." worst combination of things that these books could be made out of to just make them as horrendously apprehensible as possible well and he's you know obviously this is a book this isn't a book so it's for book people and it's like he's saying kind of this challenge to book people Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of moral dilemma around what do you do with this book and you know i think the family actually handles it pretty well um there's a lot to unpack about the evil that men do (laughs) and how we torture and hurt one another and when it's societally acceptable and when it's quote-unquote not societally acceptable to do it. It gave me just a ton of food for thought. And when's it okay to make money off of something? When is it not? When is something historically relevant and needs to be preserved? when it's not something that is a good thing you know it just it opens up a lot of avenues and and it explores the idea of you know you can have both opinions and neither opinion is really wrong no there's things are very complicated um but yeah it opened up a lot of thought for me like that and in ways that i can't even fully articulate that i thought was really cool would you keep it sell it or burn it I think I would do kind of how the family did. I think um, I might, I'd want to keep some money, maybe like to pay off my car, you know, maybe like some things like that. But for the most part, I would want it to go towards good causes. If, you know, I, I couldn't feel comfortable with the blood money profit of that book. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit, a little bit selfishly. Like I said, I'd love to have my car paid off. But, you know, for the most part, I would think that. It, it needs to go to good causes. Yeah. What do you think? I think what I would do is I would quote unquote loan it to a, to a museum uh-huh. forever. <laughs> <laughs> like I wouldn't give it to them because I don't, I don't know if I want anyone else to have control or ownership of it for well, free. It's like you can keep it forever. I, I know, but I also don't want to like keep it God, I wouldn't want it in my house. Yeah, so like I think I would say, hey, Smithsonian or whatever, you have this book on loan and just go ahead and hold on to it. <laughs> um, I also interpreted the title Lemonade as kind of a life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Yeah. Yeah, sort of thing. Uh, next story, Roger by Holly Nelson. Holly uses she, her pronouns. A sister narrates, um, disturbed brother grows up and kills parents. Okay, Can you read that synopsis again for me? Sure. Roger. Uh, Sister narrates, disturbed brother grows up, kills parents. I did not get that he killed their parents. Oh, yeah. He definitely did. I'm not saying you're wrong. Right? Right? (laughs) I didn't didn't get that. Pretty sure he did. Give us a second. Pretty sure he did. I I mean, I... (sighs) 
I'm gonna have to read that again. I mean, I remember there's that there's that part about you know like the the empty glass staring back at, at something. Huh? I sure you did. Uh, again, not I'm not saying you're wrong. I I got more of it just like um realizing that the family did this to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't. Okay, I'm a little bit of a sucker for sibling stories, as we've talked about. My sister Amanda's been on the show many times and there was something about the sibling bond even though she knew roger wasn't okay that i found very um pulled on my heartstrings a lot but i mean the fact of the matter is is when do you have to be like you've done unforgivable mm-hmm. stuff good story good story one thing i'm just gonna say as a side note i actually did not get that the um pr- that the narrator was female oh i think there. At some point, she talks about like her soccer team and the girls loaded into the van. Like that I remember the soccer team, but I don't. So technically, um, we don't know that it is a sister and a brother. That was just the the energy I picked up on. Yeah, and see, I I definitely went the other direction. I got kind of a a male energy. I, I don't know. I think if regardless, they're gendered. It, it, I think regardless, it's a sib- it's a sibling relationship. Yeah, certainly, absolutely. That makes it complicated, and that line of forgiveness and second chances mm-hmm. and compassion. Uh, yeah. Up next, we have Walking on Knives by Matthew R. Davis. Matthew uses he, him pronouns. A role-playing couple accidentally um, murder. (laughs) Oh, man. An accidental murder, I guess I should say, because only one person gets murdered. (laughs) Am I the only one between us, and maybe I'm not, um, who thought of Phil and Claire from... (laughs) from modern family <laughs> ah, yes. i'm like oh my god like that is exactly if you know you know i mean yeah he, he he described her as having red hair i don't care i pictured yes phil and claire in this situation because yes. it's almost like kind of a situation they would get themselves in yeah um only much bloodier and more horrifying <laughs> and somebody dies um I thought it was really cool. Uh, like I, I, I mean, again, it's a short story. It's okay if you kind of see where it's going. Yeah. Um. Like I pretty much got the idea that yeah, she um, she she killed her husband. Yeah. <laughs> and then to hear his side of the story and the the weird the weird stuff that he ended up going through. Oh my and, god! And like and like a a part of me wanted to say, dude, just just turn around and be like, hey, you know this crazy thing happened and like, yes. just like, let like, it go. like, just let it go and let it. And like, but on the other hand, I also understood what he was saying. She will absolutely not believe me. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, at yeah, all. But I mean, he becomes like really like a rage monster and really gross. And he's like, the whole eh. like, yeah, he does. He's, he's he does really have a, a, a nasty. Yeah. Um, I don't like him, <laughs> but it's, it's a cool way to structure a story. Yes, it is. Very cool. Yeah. Up next, we have Christmas Shopper by Rudy Kremberg. Rudy uses he, him pronouns. Uh, manslaughter leads to a haunted Alexa-like device. <laughs> and now, of course, the conceit of this is, is it really haunted? Is this her guilty conscience? This is a 
psychological collection after all. Yep, but this woman, as is kind of implied in this story, is in a hell. <laughs> it's <laughs> in a hell. She's in a hell. Uh, uh, like last minute Christmas shopping is horrifying. Yes. I hate it. I hate busy parking lots. I hate busy parking lots. I like I don't want to go to any store Mm-mm. um starting about like mid-November. Pretty much pretty much the day after Halloween is like when I'm out. No. Like I don't I don't want to go to anything anymore. There's very little things that we shop in person except for small because oh, especially this year. <laughs> yeah, because we just we we are online shoppers for a lot of reasons. Um everybody gets books and that's all anybody's ever getting again for the rest of your life. <laughs> so enjoy that. But um uh, yeah, I, I huh. this was a, a really, really well written, compelling story. You know, got some Edgar Allan Poe vibes going on. Um, it really is kind of a modern Poe story. There I didn't is, think, there is nothing like guilty conscience to erode a human being. And the w- device in which this unfurled, you know, kind of with this modern twist, very, very clever. And her husband can go throw himself into a river, too, because whatever, like, she's right. Like, hey, you know, okay, yeah, it's not my legally my fault. Yeah, no. But if people die or get seriously injured, you must come for it. You must. It will eat you alive. Absolutely. It will eat you alive. And even if it doesn't eat you alive because you just don't care, it's still the right thing to do. Yes. No. She deserves it. I just want to say yeah. clearly, she, she deserves absolutely deserves. She built her own home. Yeah. Yeah. Last, but certainly, certainly not least, another fantastic story and a great way to end the collection. Like Abigail Winchell by Christina Delia. Christina uses she, her pronouns. A suburban mom under pressure befriends a stick figure lady on the wall. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Again, I know I'm sound like a broken record and we talked a little bit with Rebecca about it. This domestic, you know, suburban horror is where so much scary, scary fodder can be found. Mm -hmm. This is a great story, again, about a woman written by a woman that is about that horror of conformity and the mundane and living your life for other people. Okay, it sounds like you're on the same page as I am, is that the the most horrifying thing in this story was actually just the interrelationship of that book club, right? Oh, it's horrible. Like, just the way they all treated each other was just... Was, was insidious terrifying i yeah. use that word a lot today um i love the title i love abigail winchell i love her she's a crazy stick figure <laughs> I can't, okay i don't think she's rightly described as a stick figure but the way i picture her maybe we've done this before i think you and i should both draw our interpretation of abigail winchell oh my god it we're doing Instagram. it we're doing it absolutely and- <laughs> I love Abigail. I love her. I mean, she's awful, but she's this woman's subconscious. She's this woman's id or whatever, her shadow self, her like way to rebel and have the dark and bad thoughts that she wants to have, but she's not allowed, quote unquote, to have. Brilliant story. There's there's uh, a lot of like this is very much a story of at least I don't know if this is a real thing that happens, but like uh, a short term schizophrenia 
if you will. Yeah, the, the way I the, that the, does the, happen. The yeah. paranoia of, you know, no one loves you but me. No one understands you but me. No one is your friend and can be trusted but me. And this me is this other person that doesn't actually exist but it is you but it but it's actually it's actually just you yeah um and what a great way to close out this collection with a story that is that is the the the, the main character deciding not to follow through yeah and, and like well the, the brownies were normal of course they're normal i would never hurt anybody i a spider crawled on me and i just didn't move and let it do its thing it's very norman bates with <laughs> mother at the end there yeah I wouldn't hurt a fly and um just a great way to end the collection with that and, and very much as we talked about with rebecca carrying on this story and others in that wonderful tradition of the yellow wallpaper, you know, just kind of this legacy. Um, everyone in this collection should be so proud of themselves. It is such a solid, solid work. And uh, I think everyone should do themselves a favor and check this out. Great, great job, Rebecca and all of your authors. It is a really, truly excellent collection um one of the strongest i've ever come across yeah. uh and and just thank you so much and big applause all right everybody um i think that does it for now now you know we have posted our tbr and the high holy season is upon, is upon us. us thank thank the gods we've made it to october so everybody, thank you for joining us. Thank you again, Rebecca, for sharing your wisdom and your humor. Um, thank you, authors, for your talent. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. And please keep reading past your bedtime. <laughs>